Plus, good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Plus Good Evening Podcast, episode 88. Sam Lebowitz, alongside Jack Hendon, as always, a special post-All-Star break edition here. We couldn't connect on a recording time between the end of the, reg- the, end of the first half and the beginning of the All-Star break, so now we're just kind of going to do it all together. We're going to talk home run derby, All-Star game, MLB draft, end of the first half. Going to give you some superlatives for the first half of this Mets season on a warm Wednesday evening here in July from Cape Cod. Jack from New York. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good. It's probably more of like a moist evening if you're in New York City right now. It's so bad. It The humidity... It's not the heat, folks. It's the humidity that gets you, you know. But I'm, I'm, otherwise, like I'm living the dream. Um, the Mets, who are good, good yes. first half is over. Um, a good draft. Uh, yeah, I, I, you can't really do it worse than last year's draft, but certainly a, a good draft. Kind of bummed that Pete didn't win the Derby. Still kind of working through that. Uh, very pissed that Edwin Diaz didn't pitch last night. Uh, dealing with that. Uh, that's how I'm doing. But I'll let you dive in with the first uh, bit you want to talk about because I'm, I'm game for anything. I guess let's just touch on briefly the end of the first half. Uh, the Mets took three or four from the Cubs. They came up short in a a chance to sweep Chicago at Wrigley Field. However, prior to that series, they took two of three from the Braves, which was very, very good. It was very, very good because not only did they take two of three from Braves, they took two of three from a surging Braves team that they were able to just kind of push off a little bit and prevent them from overtaking the division lead. If they had gotten swept in that series – then the Braves would be in first place in the NL East. Um, so a good job to take that series from Atlanta. The bad news is that even with taking three or four from the Cubs, um, they actually lost a little bit of ground um, to the Braves because the Braves kept pace. And then when the Mets lost on Sunday, the Braves won. So it's a two and a half game lead over Atlanta had been as low as one and a half games prior to the series that the Mets took two of three from Atlanta. Um, so, could be worse eight and a half up on the Phillies they're not really in play right now it's a two-horse race at the time being in the NL East um it's kind of incredible that the Mets even took the series from the Braves because they were short-staffed in that series Jeff McNeil was out Starling Marte was banged up and they had Luis Guillorme batting fifth fifth and cleanup in the three games and they scored um, the most runs in the game where Guillaume was batting cleanup. Like, of course, that's the one where they just go off on a tear, you know, yeah. and hit three homers. Like, offense showed up, to, you know, against all the odds. I was I was certain that having Ender and Ciarte and Travis Jankowski on a roster at the same time was going to be like – I mean, it probably wouldn't have been, like, as bad as, like, starting Jared Eikhoff in a game, but it was, the, it was the inefficiency moment that I was like, all right, like – this team does not want like this organization does not want to prepare for the series. And like the players just said, you know, screw it. And they 
played three really good games, honestly. I mean, second game was kind of just a game that you lose because you lose to a team, you know? I mean, David Peterson gave up a homer to Matt Olson, and I mean, that's just kind of like a thing that David Peterson will do when he makes a bad pitch. It will just be a home run. Seth Lugo is still Seth Lugo. You know, he gave up a bomb to Austin Riley, like, immediately after the fact. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll do our little thing about Seth Lugo like we do every week. Um, it was all in all a good series, though. I, I mean, I really didn't think that with the trajectories those two teams were on, that the Mets would take two of three. I thought maybe by some miracle, like, they'd avoid a sweep or something. Um, but they took the first game, and then they took the last game. Second game is always a problem for them. But like first game and third game, like they're, they're, you know, impermeable. They're, they're just, you can't, you can't touch them. Yeah. This continues to be a team that while very good, obviously they're, you know, 23 over 500 uh, for the first time since 2006. Uh, while they are a very good baseball team, they are not a tweet, a team that really sweeps. They are a team that just wins every two out of three games. Um, and it's worked. That's pretty much what their winning percentage is, 624. It's very nearly um, two out of every three. It's a little under two out of every three. So um, they don't really sweep, but they also don't get swept, and they just win a lot of series. And that's a, a recipe for success um, for this this baseball team. And you're right, the, the series in Atlanta, there's some negatives. Obviously, Seth Lugo is still Seth Lugo. And the bullpen continues to be a bit of an issue, as was also the case in the last game in Chicago, because they blew a late lead. Could have swept that series, could have been a four-game sweep, um, but the bullpen let it get away in the eighth inning on getaway day before the All-Star break. But that's not really a series that warrants a whole lot of conversation, because the Cubs are not uh, very good, but they got two really exciting extra-inning wins in the doubleheader on Saturday, especially the nightcap with Yoan yeah. Lopez working out of the tightrope uh, with the bases loaded. Um, the Mets had given him a two run lead. The bullpen was a little bit worn down. Uh, Buck Showalter opted to continue using Lopez for a second inning, even though he's literally Yoan Lopez. I think that should indicate to you that the bullpen uh, when Edwin Diaz is unavailable is bad. Um, yeah. And Lopez gave up some hits after the Mets got him two runs in the top of the 10th. Um, and then he gave one run right back. The Cubs were even closer. They had the bases loaded and then a very well-placed ground ball towards the third base bag for a five, three double play got Lopez out of it and allowed the Mets to sweep their fourth double header of their last seven that they've played, which in and of itself is an impressive statistic. This team plays really good baseball in double headers. Um, they have all season. And that was a fun day to get those two extra wins on Saturday in Chicago. Um, they also beat Marcus Stroman, which is also fun. And overall heading into the all-star break, besides the late loss in Chicago on getaway day, which really, again, I don't even think is worth chatting about beyond the cursory the bullpen needs help conversation. Right. Um, yeah. Good vibes. You know, the vibes were good heading into LA over the weekend uh, and heading into the draft too, which 
I was very intrigued to see how it would go because they had the two first round picks. We'll talk more about the draft. I'm pretty positive on this draft. I like where they went with it, especially with those first two picks. Um, so we'll chat more about that. But we, we can just do draft if you want. We can just jump into that even, honestly. Like, cause I'm I'm like honestly really uh like it it was a lot better than last year's. And also Kumar going third was kind of funny, but it was kind of yeah. funny. I think I think we're better served because there's not a whole lot of Mets stuff. Yeah. To cover from the All-Star game festivities. Um, maybe we're better served just like diving into that stuff quickly yeah. before we go a little deeper into the draft and yeah. then do the superlatives. Yeah. Um yeah, the obviously the first of all, the futures game, which I don't even think anyone watched this year because it was on Peacock. Um Two Mets were in the starting lineup, the only two Mets that were in the Futures game, Francisco Alvarez and Mark Vientos, and neither of them did anything. Uh, Alvarez drew a walk. I don't even think – like, Vientos, I think he flew out twice or something. Like, he, they didn't do anything notable. Um, so there's really nothing to harp in on there. Um, the home run derby, obviously, this was Pete's to lose, and everyone thought he was going to win this thing again, I think. He seems to be the only guy in the history of the home run derby who's ever taken it this seriously, uh, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> I love right. that. He's, he's very interesting. His, his, his taking it seriously bit is really, really entertaining. This is his Super Bowl. Like, this is his Super Bowl. Like, this is Pete Alonzo's wedding day. Yeah, it's Him. when Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. Like, yeah. the, the photo that got memed to death and is so funny of Pete like centering himself and meditating yeah, yeah. Um, before a round. First of all, he was doing deadlifts be between rounds to keep his legs warm. And then he like sits in like a folding chair and closes his eyes and <laughs> looks like, um, you know, a drunk person in the back of an Uber trying to keep it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those memes were really, really funny. Um, Pete, Fell short this year, unfortunately. Didn't come out looking as great in the first round. And at that point, I was like, okay, this could be a problem. Uh, especially because of how good uh, Julio Rodriguez looked in his first round where he hit 31 home runs. Yeah. Um, or 32, whatever it was. It was around there. He was outstanding. Point is, Julio Rodriguez was outstanding in his first round and was outstanding in his second round. And Pete Alonso, I, I mean, I would hate to be, you know, go all strategy on on this and analysis on the home run derby and why Pete lost. He, he wasn't twisting his, he wasn't twisting his back foot enough. I've done I've 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 played in high school. I wasn't gonna say that. Also, that is gonna sound so weird on the recording. Um, because he's totally just froze and my interconnect internet connection is unstable. So I apologize if that sounds weird. Um, I think I'm back now. That yeah, probably sounded a lot. That sounded probably really weird on the recording because you slowed down on my end by a lot when you said that yeah. analysis thing. That's really funny. And I hope it shows up like that because it's going to be hilarious on the, the playback. Regardless, not the analysis I was going to go with. The analysis I was going to go with was that Dave Jouse was terrible this year see but like pete's done well with terrible pitching before like his cousin was really really bad i think his cousin was worse than joust 
Joust but, was working slowly and he was keeping it kind of down and Pete was yeah. hitting a lot of line drives. Yeah. Well, um, I, he wasn't working quick enough. He wasn't working think, quick enough. I feel like we did kind of see like the influence that it has when you have a good pitcher working for you because Julio Rodriguez's pitcher was putting it in the same spot like every time. And I was I, barely I mean, even throwing the baseball and it was going yeah. to the same place, the same velocity every single time. Like I think it was also it. yoked. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, the other component of it is like, yes, Dave Jouse worked slowly. Um, he wasn't putting it where he needed to. Julio Rodriguez also hit like 80 home runs. And I think like probably – I, I don't think – I think I counted the swings that Pete even took in that last minute. I don't think he even had enough swings to catch up to Rodriguez um, just because of how many the guy had hit. Like, it it was the perfect person to lose to, especially when you consider how, like, Pete sort of, you know, established his own name in the Derby as, like, a young player kind of showing up and bringing his own energy to the event. And I think Julio Rodriguez got to do that, like, to the fullest. Um, and he's, he's awesome. So cool. He's, he's really so, cool. He's so cool. Julio he Rodriguez also, is the yeah. best. Yeah. That I guy rocks. He definitely should have, like, beaten Soto, I think. Like, it was kind of a shame that he ran out of gas in the in the last. It's not like he lost to Albert Pujols, right? I mean, that would have been Pete losing. I don't really consider this Pete losing as much as I do, like, Pete not being able to three Pete because Julio Rodriguez was just like the brick wall that he ran into. Like, but yes, I mean, to your original point, like Dave Jouse was, you know, noticeably worse than he was last year. We were also spoiled because of last year, but really like, yeah, he was working slowly. Um, I wonder if there's some kind of like rule in place where like they have to wait a certain amount of time before they get cleared to throw the next one because the ball's just landing. But, there's like the umpire that stands behind home plate. And yeah. like gives the stop sign with his hand and then points at them to pitch again. But I feel like no one actually pays much attention to that. Yeah. Uh, Joust also like, didn't, there were so many moments where he was just going back to the well to get more baseballs. Like why you should be more prepared, you know? Yeah. You got If you, if you throw your last ball, you got, you can't watch it in and watch Pete hit a home run. You gotta like throw and then get the baseballs in your hand again. You know, it is like being a battery you know, having the pitcher and the hitter in that situation. Like, it goes both ways. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and Julio Rodriguez, despite how fun he was and how much of a show he put on, unfortunately did not take the win. Um, the eventual winner of the Home Run Derby was Juan Soto, who has been in the news a lot this week. And I think after we talk about the All-Star Game briefly, because, again, there really wasn't a whole lot Mets related to talk about or a lot that warranted conversation. There was some fun stuff. I felt this year had some of the best production of an all-star yeah. game recently. I thought some of the creative decisions with who they interviewed, how they interviewed them actually worked for me this year. Um, I said yeah. it on Twitter, but I think that the biggest difference for why interviewing players on field during innings worked for me more this year than it has in years past is because I just think Joe Davis is better at this than Joe yeah. Buck. I think that he was a better interviewer. I think that he kept it looser with the players. I think the technology didn't, you know, let Fox down at all this year. Sometimes they lose the interview mid-inning. This year they really didn't. And yeah. also talking to the pitchers 
while they were pitching, not a concept I would have been down for before I saw it in play. Yeah. But that Alec Manoa inning specifically was like really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And I think there are a couple pieces to that being such a success. I think the first one is that like, I agree with you on like conceptually, like, you know, pitchers should not be obligated to talk to people or telegraph their strategy or focus on anything other than simply making their pitch while they're pitching. Um, This is an event where there's leverage simply does not exist. You can explore all the possibilities. And I credit Fox for exploring a possibility and trying something new because it was really fun. I think that was part of why it was a success, but I also really appreciated I not only appreciated that Joe Davis was the one giving the commentary and conducting the interview, but I really do appreciate that the people who were in that room deciding how they were going to go about this didn't just pick like a top five player that they thought could be marketable because we've seen what that looks like sometimes like Mike Trout, God bless him, best baseball player right now, maybe of all time, right? Like so boring literally the most boring on-field interview i had ever seen was when they had him on espn in center field like they were smart enough to know not to simply track down somebody who was good and ask them how they got good but to track down someone who was interesting and to let them be interesting because that's exactly what manoa was he was funny he was light but he still taught you something really important so i think it was a win not only for fans who want who think that like baseball is boring and want to find someone fun, but even for fans who like, you know, know who Mike Trout is, but don't really know much about Alec Manoa, you know, and, and now have this, this way of remembering him. I think that was really, it was really well done. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that it was probably the thing that like stuck with me the most between that and also David Ortiz running around and just doing interview, you know, doing the, basically duck duck goose on camera was really when he talking uh excuse me talking to manoa specifically when he was running around the american league dugout and he puts his arm around manoa and he goes how would you pitch me and manoa starts going through a pitch sequence and ortiz cuts him off and goes that it says i would take you deep and then runs away from him before letting him finish peak peak stuff that was great that was really that was like the meme of skeletor running into the tunnel you know just like it just that was great i think that david ortiz was a good guy to have do that just a lot of good like personnel decisions good casting decisions even i might say yeah. john smoltz being there is still kind of like I, i'm still not gonna really like you're not gonna make me like john smoltz it's not gonna happen ever gonna happen uh, yeah like and also like letting john smoltz do this like while Brian Snicker is managing the NL team, like it was just, I needed a break from the Braves. I got my dose of the Braves. Every time the Mets lose a game, I get my dose of the Braves either because they're playing the fucking nationals or they're on like, you know, sports talk ATL is tweeting something just absurd and ridiculous. Like I've, I, I don't, I don't need that much Atlanta content. Like, yeah, it was, it was very much like, the Yankees and Braves show uh, yeah. a lot yesterday are not. Yeah. I guess it was they had Colin freed too, which I thought thing. was fine. That yeah, I thought was also funny and smart. They, Cole was like weirdly funny. Um, yeah. He has, he has zingers occasionally in like post-game interviews. Like when, uh when Raphael Devers took him deep twice a couple weeks ago and someone asked him like, what do you need to be doing differently to get Devers out? And he just said, you know, if you have a suggestion, let me know. 
I don't know how yeah. to pitch this guy. I can't get this guy out. Um, that was pretty entertaining. He was entertaining in this one, as was Freed a little bit. They interviewed them both together from the dugouts. I think that was as like a, hey, these two guys are both California guys. We're going to interview them at the same time. Um, they got they to talk did. to each other, really. That was, I think, what was funniest was that yeah. they were like, it was an interview that they were sharing. Yeah, um, they had, they did a couple of like shared interviews. They did Judge and Stanton while they were in the outfield together, um, which was fine. I think Judge's earpiece like went out halfway through the inning. So it wound up just being like a Stanton interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I missed this part. I wasn't watching this part, but didn't they also do like a, double interview with Jose Trevino and Nestor Cortez when they were yeah. pitching, when Cortez was pitching to Trevino. Yeah. That was really interesting. Cause you got to listen to them communicate with each other. I thought that, I thought that Nestor especially was just a fantastic selection. Cause he's someone that has throughout this season leaned into uh, you know, the fame for lack of a better word. Like the guy has really, really embraced um, you know, his, his own personality being, uh, at the forefront alongside just the fact that he had a very like successful year. Um, so I, I thought that that was really smart. I like that Liam Hendricks also got some time. Um, I think that that <laughs> he was, plays like one batter and he was just yeah. screaming the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they knew what they were doing, but I think that the all-star game is like a, a perfect place to, for one thing, just test it out and like see if people like it, but for another, like really work on you know, creating a product that people would like and find funny. I think that when ESPN did it in the playoffs, I think we talked about it. This must've been like our sixth or seventh episode when they did this. And like, they interviewed like Ramon Laureano in the middle of the playoffs. Like that was oh, yeah. just, that was just like, was embarrassing. we've come a long way from that. But I, I remember when that first happened thinking like, this will never be okay with me. Like I would never ever accept something like this. If I were a player, like this seems ridiculous it seems stupid. Now I look at it and I'm like, wow, like I kind of wish that I had gone through with being a major league baseball player, which they did ask me to do. They asked me many times to, uh, to suit up. And I, I, I turned them all down. Said, but no, no, I have paralegal work to do. And I said, podcast. listen, the law is more important to me. The law I, I need to, the podcast is you know, I need to remember my guys. How will I remember my guys? I can't in good conscience. I can't in good conscience remember a guy while on the verge of becoming a guy to remember myself. That's it's true. a conflict of interest. I would be a guy to remember. I throw left-handed and I don't throw hard at all. I'm like the perfect guy. Everyone would love me. You're just but... Scott Rice waiting to happen. Yeah, Scott Rice is a good one. I was thinking more like, uh, you know, like PJ Conlon or something. Oh, jeez. We're both from the UK, you know. So it. Well, I'm not. I'm not from. I should clarify. My mom's half. My mom's British. I'm half British. I realize I've never revealed that, but that's now that's going to be like my red flag. But well, at um, least our schools. Well, at least we don't have to pay. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Not finishing. Not finishing the healthcare joke. Okay. It's, it's um, yeah. um all the rest of the All-Star game. Pete didn't do anything. McNeil got hit by a pitch. McNeil, okay. McNeil brought his less than a week old infant son <laughs> to the All-Star game. <laughs> Which was like a head scratch. I was like, didn't he just have that kid that his wife is holding on the red carpet? Didn't she just have that child? 
And yes, she did. That baby was born on July 13th. That was less than a week ago um, at the time of the All-Star game. So kudos to them for getting that baby, you know, fitted in its little baby tux. I don't think it was wearing a tux, but can you imagine a little, like a six-day-old infant wearing a tux? I'm pretty sure having wrote a short story about that first sale, baby tux, um, super fly or something like that. I don't remember the last two words. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. I was pissed that Edwin didn't get to pitch. That was so petty. I was too. I that was ridiculous. I understand. I under, okay. Yeah, I had a whole moment about this. Like, I understand the Pirates have no other All-Stars this year. I get it. Why don't you, you – like, you already used Joe Mantiply in sixth inning. Yeah. he's the D-backs lone all-star. Why are we not using David Bednar earlier in this game? Yeah, why are you not showing us the best closer in the National League right now? Why are like, you why, are, why you, are you why have you let it get to a place where you're depriving baseball fans who haven't gotten a chance to watch the most elite closer in the sport this year in Edwin Diaz? Like, I wanted to watch Edwin. I stayed up late. I had to get up at 5.45 yeah. in the morning today to go broadcast a baseball game three hours away in Hartford, Connecticut. I was and I stayed up, And I stayed up way later than I should have because I wanted to watch the end of the All-Star game because I figured Edwin Diaz was going to get into the game in the ninth inning. And I was wrong. He was warming up, and they didn't put him in. Yeah. Yeah, I got – I had to – for my efforts, I was rewarded with one Pittsburgh Pirate-like – no disrespect to David Bednar, who the Mets should consider trading for. But, um, like, yeah, that was ridiculous. I, I definitely am going to hold that against the Braves forever. Yeah. Uh, you would think that Snicker would take the chance to, you know, like make Edwin Diaz just like a little more tired. But no. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand like Starling Marte not playing because he was too busy, just like he wasn't active. Know. He wasn't. He was. He wasn't active. That I mean, he was. He was literally inactive. He just. He, he was. Just. He resting. took personal time. He took personal time to to hang out with Juan Soto, which was cool. Yes. That's he, not why he was inactive, but he did he, do that. He did a he very was, good job schmoozing. He was schmoozing. You could call it schmoozing. You could call it tampering. You could call it dick riding. I don't care what you call it. He was doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> um, Juan Soto, the Mets, 2022. Make it happen. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, yeah, unfortunate that Edwin didn't get in the game. Talking about Starling Marte and talking about red carpet fashion, Starling yeah. Marte looked like a damn GQ model. That guy was handsome yeah. on that. You see he's his hot. fit? Did you see his fit on the on the red carpet? Yeah, he's he's hot. He's he did like he did like a suit moment without a shirt on underneath yeah. the suit jacket. He was hot. Yeah. He's always, oh, oh God, he's hot. But he really, yeah, the Squidward thing, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Just, God, yeah, I, wow. Martin yeah, he's, he's really something. Um, also, yeah, that's a great name for like a hot person. Starling Marte, Marte hot. Yeah, yeah, very hot. No, but I, I credit him. It would be very funny if like the small domino is, signing Marte after, you know, signing Canna and Escobar and capping off a fun November offseason night. That's the small domino. And then we get like Juan Soto 2023 World Series MVP, 2022 World Series MVP, I should say. It's not going to be next year. It's going to be this year because um, they are entertaining the possibility of trading like very strongly. And like, 
the Nats kind of have to do it. Like they kind of have to get rid of him because the next ownership group is going to be responsible for doing it if they don't. So, and they want to sell. So they're trying to get rid of him. Like they have no leverage anymore. He doesn't want their money. Uh, they are he terrible. They're terrible. The nationals are terrible. He wants it's, out. Yeah. He, he rejected what would have been a historic contract. Yeah. And let's get into the weeds of this now. Juan Soto, an all-star this year in what's considered a down year. Listen, like just for sake of comparison, Pete Alonso is having a great year. Pete Alonso yeah. was nearly the all-star game starter at first base. Pete Alonso might be having his best season since his rookie season. Yeah. Juan Soto is having a down year. Juan Soto is having a better offensive season than Pete Alonso by pretty much every metric. Yeah. So that puts things into perspective, just how good Juan Soto is in a quote unquote down year where he's probably playing bored because he doesn't have anyone else in that lineup of no. Um, He's on pace for a six war season and it's a down year. Like it's a down year just because he's hitting like 250. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, "Oh my god, he's not driving in runs." Well, there's no one on base ever around. Yeah, who, who's he going to drive in? Josh he's, Bell. Who he's the only one on base ever in that Nationals lineup. Yeah. I mean, um. It, yeah. Bad. I I genuinely feel bad that I mean, really, like it is kind of funny when you think about it from a non-sports. Like, if you knew nothing about the business and all you and all you knew was that like s- someone paid him someone offered him like $440 million to stay in Washington, DC for 15 years. And he rejected it. That's pretty funny. It's pretty funny when you just look at it from that angle, because that's money that we'll never, ever see ever combined. Uh, all of the listeners combined, like it's a lot of money, but. Unless also, Juan Soto is listening to us. Yeah. Hey, in which case, Juan Soto come on the pod. Come on the pod, bring your sponsorships. Let's make it happen. I would love to have Juan Soto on the pod. He'd probably be hilarious. He seems like a, a really entertaining guy. He'd As probably a have a lot of tea from 2019. Yeah. Um, so not only did he, you know, in a vacuum make what looks like a stupid financial decision, but in a not vacuum with context, he made probably definitely the right move for himself. Yeah. Career-wise, he was totally justified in doing it. He's an incredible baseball player. He's got a World Series championship. He's probably got an MVP or two coming down the road in short order. Uh, this guy's 23, came up as a 20-year-old. Like, he is so good. He's so good. And yeah. him, you know, declining this contract offer from the Nationals, um, I think, is the right move. But it also means they can't keep him because if they can't sign him to an extension and now's the time to sign him to an extension, then there's no point in keeping him because he's at the highest point his value will probably ever be at, given that he has two and a half years of control left before he hits free agency as a 26-year-old. And he wants out. He wants to be traded. He wants to go to a team where he can win. And, you know, I'm not sure if he gets traded within the next two weeks before the deadline or if he gets yeah. traded in the off season. But I think the odds of him getting traded before August 2nd are growing larger. And I think, I think that the Mets have as good a shot as any team, the teams that you're looking at in terms of being able to trade for Juan Soto, 
are teams that have good prospect and young talent capital teams that are willing to spend real money finances, not just prospects, because probably going to take not only hefty money figures in arbitration, hefty financial figures in his upcoming arbitration seasons, because he is going to be owed a lot of money in arbitration. Cause again, he's really friggin' good. Yeah. Um, and a team that probably is going to want to sign him long-term. So you're looking at the combination, a deep farm system. They're a playoff contender now, and they have a lot of money to spend. And only a few teams meet that criteria. The Dodgers probably don't meet that criteria. Their farm system's a little mid right now. And they also have a lot of big contracts on the books. The Yankees, likewise, have some big contracts on the books. Farm system's not really in a great place right now. The Cardinals, Padres, Mets are like the three teams that really come to mind as potential fits here. Um, The Mariners, maybe if they're willing to part with some big pieces, it might take Julio Rodriguez to get that trade done, which I don't think they're going to trade Julio Rodriguez. Um, So there's not a lot of suitors. And that kind of leaves the Mets in a position where if they're willing to trade Francisco Alvarez and also like every other good prospect that was in this organization prior to the draft earlier this week, then they might come away with this. It obviously depends on if the nationals are willing to trade in division, but if Juan Soto says, if the Mets have a good offer on the table, trade me to the New York Mets, trade him the New York Mets, man. Yeah. Juan Soto, you are a New York Met. That would be fun. I think that it's important to note not only the money that's going to be going into the extensions, not only taking into account the prospects that you're giving up, um, but there's also really the national side of this negotiation. I mean, they have no, like I said, they don't have a whole lot of, they're desperately trying to sell this team. Um, They're probably going to soften the prospect package that they want back if you're willing to take one of their dead contracts whether that's patrick corbin or steven strasberg if you offer to take either of those off of their books and make it easier for them to not only offload the burden of extending soto but the burden of a bad unviable player they're absolutely going to take you at your word for it and they're going to make that deal with you. And I don't think there are a lot of teams that are as willing. I mean, if from the prospect perspective, I think Mets, I think Cardinals, I think Padres, I think Yankees also, I think they have a couple guys in that system like Volpe who could be really, really interesting. Um, or maybe Oswald Peraza. I don't it's know. It's like Volpe, I, Jason Dominguez, Peraza, and then it really yeah. falls off. Dominguez, I would say, maybe falls off, too, because his numbers themselves, his performance has not been great. He's still kind of riding the the, I know, the notes, but I know he I know he homered in the Futures game, and he has the legend of Jason Dominguez behind him, but right. he's, not, I mean, he's not that good of a prospect. He's definitely not Volpe, but I think that – so those are the prospect guys, right? But then those are the prospect candidates. I think the Mets also work especially well because they are a financially – like the perfect fit. They will take any money. They've made it clear. They don't really care about like luxury tax taxes. Cause it's just, you know, it's, it's all like a means to the same end, which is winning a world series. Like if you get Soto, but you have to pay someone and then dump their, you know, dump their contract off the side of the road, like, 
you can just kind of do it. Like, I yeah. don't think that it stops the Mets as much as it might stop other teams who seem to be playing by the, the so-called rules as they so-called exist. Like, I think that honestly, if it were between trading a prospect or taking on a big contract, I would take on the big contract. Like I would just take that, get rid of it. Like they did this with Cano, you know, like I said, before, yeah. they've, they've gone over anyway. Like it, it bears no burden to Stephen Cohen um, in the, in the scheme of things. And he would still extend Soto. Like money is literally an infinite object to this guy. Um, yeah. I also, yeah, I'll let you, I'll, I, I, I just, I agree with that. you. I would, I would take the corpse of Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Who's already out for the season? Like he's. It's not even like you're risking him being a bad player for your team this year. It's TOS. It's it, he's done. He's absolutely finished. He's, you're I, literally just taking the money. Like I would take that contract off the Nationals' hands if it made getting Juan Soto any easier, in in a heartbeat. And I would trade Francisco Alvarez for Juan Soto because he's Juan Soto. Yeah, literally. I think that was the next thing I was going to move on to. Like I don't think people understand that. Like if you're getting Juan Soto your best prospect at least is, is leaving. It will absolutely be Alvarez. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I think Alvarez is a great player. I think if the Mets call him up, like, you know, right now he'd probably be better than Nito or McCann or Masika or whatever, but I understand why they're not doing it. Just saying, I really do have faith in the guy being a good player, but Juan Soto is literally like a top five player in all of baseball and you have an opportunity to have him to only yourself for the rest of his career i don't if you're not going to trade francisco alvarez like you're simply not going to trade anybody for for soda like i don't get it it's really like it's 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 this is part of why you like develop your prospects it's not just so they can play for you it's so that you can advertise them to teams and trade them if you need to trade them um this is like this is just literally how it's going to work at the in negotiation terms and i think it's i think some people are like some people that i really really like otherwise enjoy reading and appreciate the takes from and like i'm not going to call anyone out because it's a lot of people really like but i'm honestly dismayed like you guys, it's Juan Soto. Seriously, you should not be like I trade. I would literally trade Jacob Degrom for Juan Soto. I'm not kidding. I would do that. Jacob Degrom, great player. Juan Soto, literally a top five player. It it it, and also like yeah, I think that in essence, if you get Soto, you're probably you're possibly losing Degrom anyway, just because at that point, like, do you really entertain keeping him if you're adding Soto to your team and giving him that much money? Again, I think that they probably will. Um, that's, but, a, that's a let the dominoes kind of fall situation where you, I think, got to get Soto first and then think yeah, about yeah, where, where all the other bricks lie. But it's Juan Soto. It's you got Juan it. Soto. It's got literally it. Juan Soto. Francisco Alvarez is great. I would trade, I think, any prospect in baseball for Juan yeah. Soto. Yeah. yeah. We're coming up on a, uh, a little break, so we're going to pause the station ID. Uh, we'll be back in a second. We'll talk draft. We'll talk a lot more. Keep in, uh, keep in touch, as they say. Edit. All right, so we're trading Juan Soto for – Yeah, we are trading Juan Soto. We're he's tra- he's met, but he's not going to be a Met anymore. No, that's not what I meant. I misspoke. We're trading for Juan Soto. Got him, guys. You know, we got him really while we were off, while we were waiting – 
to get in the next Zoom. We got him, but then we can trade. You, him. Can you imagine so if? Can you imagine if by the time this episode goes out tomorrow, they trade for Juan Soto? That would be truly wild. Anyways, that will, in a scenario in which the Mets are trading for Juan Soto, Francisco Alvarez is a Washington National in all, in all likelihood in that scenario. However, all is not, you know, drab and despair in Mets land in terms of prospect catchers because the Mets got themselves a pretty darn good one in the first round with their 11th overall pick. Uh, let's talk some drafts because the Mets had a good draft, assuming they sign all these guys. Uh, and it seems like they are probably going to sign all these guys, at least the, uh, the most interesting ones. Jet Williams, their 14th overall selection, a high school infielder, outfielder, who stands just 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, but he's got some sock in his bat, and he's real fast. Uh, he might be Jet. pretty good. Um, he might be pretty good. He intends to sign with the team. That should hopefully be done by the end of the week. He was picked 14th. At 11th overall is our lovely, lovely Georgia Tech catcher who gets down and dirty, Kevin Parada. Did you see that TikTok? If you haven't seen that TikTok, you need to go find that TikTok. Yeah. I'm not going to dive into it on air here. Um, I don't know. If you know, you know. I don't know if it's that good of a – I don't know if that's – We're not going to get into the weeds of it. I'm not – I wouldn't be proud of it if I were Kevin. But anyway, it's a good draft pick uh anytime you get a good catcher it's just like you know it it makes me really happy um because it means that the good catcher in our system is going to get traded for Juan Soto but I also think it's good just because like I also I mean yeah I we can we can talk Parada a little bit I think that the meat and potatoes is obviously him but they're like you know the other components of this draft were really really interesting to me and just to get a sense for their process was was kind of cool just to see what it is they're really looking for because I think I found something kind of interesting that I'll touch on later but yeah Barada was a good pick Jet Williams I I, I really don't know yet um I like I both a lot I, think I, like, I like both a lot yeah I, I tend to be very like I think hesitant with guys who have a speed tool uh and that's the thing that's advertised because most people that get the speed tool like shoved in my face can't hit like at all like maybe they can field pretty well on top of the running but like they just can't hit they never figure out how to hit they spend their whole time learning to steal bases but I also like I don't think the Mets will mess that up I think that they know how to make guys who can hit I think that they can at least hope for an accident like I think it's probably fine um I don't, I, yeah. I am with you in a certain sense, I don't like speed as a carrying tool for a prospect. Yeah. But I don't think speed is his carrying tool. I think he's a plus plus runner, but I also think he can hit. Like, I think he can really hit, um, right. especially at that price. Those, at yeah. that price point, he can hit. Uh, he can. <laughs> he he's can allowed. Hit. He, for a little guy, he makes a lot of loud contact. It's a, a pretty swing. The Mets have been heavy on him for a while. They're really high on this kid. I've heard good reports from the Mets side that they they think this guy is going to be an above average major league regular when all is said and done. Um, a guy who hits for a high average and hits for a little bit of power and runs well and can play multiple positions. He's a good pick. He's projectable for a guy with that small of a body. Yeah. Um, he's projectable because there's a lot of tools going around. He can grow. Go- yeah, going also. Yeah, maybe literally he could grow theoretically. Yeah. An eighteen-year-old is five foot eight, five foot nine. 
on the Parada side, that was a coup for the Mets because Parada was a projected top five pick in this draft, probably the most accomplished college bat in this entire draft. Um, and he fell to the 11th overall pick because of some shenanigans with the Rangers picking Kumar Rocker uh, at third overall, kind of slid a lot of the first, the upper first round talent back. And when you have a top five pick like Parada, and then you slide someone who wasn't a projected top five pick into the top five, that shoves one of the projected top five picks out of the top five. Um, and that's what happened here with Parada. And it kind of just was one domino after another, where similar to Kumar last year, with Kumar kind of just not getting picked the first 10 picks of the draft yeah. uh, and, you know, teams picking guys they liked more for whatever reason and him just falling into the Mets lap. That's kind of exactly what happened here with Parada is you got a, a top five projected pick, the top offensive bat, uh, catcher, certainly the top catcher in the draft and probably the top college bat in the draft. And you got him to fall right into your lap at the 11th overall pick because, you know, whatever. The, the Rangers wanted to take Kumar Rocker third overall. The Rockies wanted to reach on Cade Horton on a college, you know, a, a, a late riser in the draft, the college, you know, arm in Cade Horton, yeah. um, which I don't think is a bad pick. But stuff like that opens the avenue for the Mets to take Parada, and they just went best player available. Uh, yeah. and he fell into their laps and I don't think that anyone is complaining about it because this guy, this kid can really hit. He's not going to be, you know, an outstanding defensive catcher. He might not be a catcher long, long term, but he can really, really hit. He had 26 homers this year. Um, he won the Buster Posey award this year for top collegiate catcher. Uh, he's got silly little rec specs that he wears when he hits dingers. He seems kind of like a goober. He did a lot of media stuff on draft day. Um, got some Pete Alonso energy going on. I'm yeah. totally in on this pick. Yeah, I think it's a good pick. I think the best player available is how you're supposed to be drafting. Like, this isn't a, you never draft for need. Like, what happens in the minor leagues between minor leagues and major leagues is so complex and so convoluted that, like, it simply isn't about, like, oh, well, you know, we don't need to draft a shortstop because Francisco Lindor is going to be here for nine more years. Like that's not how teams, most people listening probably know this, but for the one or two that maybe don't like, this is why like with Francisco Alvarez, they're still picking Parada just because like, he's the best player that was left. And he probably was, I was honestly a little bit surprised with the way some of these picks fell. I did not think, I don't know what might've happened between when I last checked on Tamar Johnson and now, but I thought he would have gone a little bit higher than he did. Um, I, I definitely holiday going one was a bit of a surprise too. And kind yeah. of shuffled things like he was like, I could, I thought he might've gone like three and right. he went one. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Matt holiday having a kid and that kid playing major league baseball in a couple of years, like that's not going to make me feel old at all. That's not going to, really really bother me i think did you see the picture of him by the way just a total like he looks like a shot he looks, he like, looks a shot. like he looks like he asked the cameraman if he had games on his phone like like yeah. he literally looks like he's eight um but i think that will be fun i think it will be in, something that we'll have fun with an eight-year-old who hit like 620 in yeah. high school this year like he's insane uh and then 
we had two legacy guys go in the top two picks. Drew Jones, son of Andrew Jones, went number two to the Diamondbacks. And then the Kumar silliness happened where he went third overall. Um, sure, Rangers, good luck with that. See how that works out for them. I'm not going to give any takes on it. Um, good for Kumar for good bouncing for back and finding himself into the tenth, the top ten picks. Um, and, and I know like he's not going to make slot money at third overall. The Rangers did this to save a little cash. They still got a player that I'm sure they really, really like. Um, but, you know, good for Kumar. That's yeah. what I'll say. You know, yeah, yeah. good for Kumar. He kind of got caught in the middle of a bad situation last year um, with the draft. And good for him for landing on his feet and showing mm -hmm. what he needed to show in the spring with his independent ball stunt that he did. Um, yeah. And I, then the, the rest of it was... I don't know. The other, the only really big surprise of guys who fell out was uh, Cam Collier, the 17 year old who reclassified and spent a year in Juco in, at Chipola College, one of the better Juco environments um, in the country. Spent the early part of the summer on Cape Cod. I got to see him once. He was fine. Um, he frankly looked like a 17 year old who was playing in the best summer collegiate league in the country. Um, yeah. so he fell to the Reds at, what was that? 18, 16, 18. I think it was 18. Um, I don't know. I thought Nick, Mor uh, Morabito was a pretty good pick too. I, oh, I that was someone yeah. who kind of fell a little bit in by my standards at least, but I thought that was a good pick. I'll the, tell you, I really did like, well, what were you going to say? Sorry. I was, I, yeah, I was going to agree with you. I think the Mets got some really good value picks with their two second round picks to round out day one with Blake Tidwell and uh nick morabito morabito is like another is like another high school bat um who profiles as like another hit speed potential for power later down the line um outfield type guys um who seems like he could be a lot of fun and then tidwell is a guy who i guess had some injury risk he's a college pitcher um but throws hard has some good stuff was a potential guy to go in the late first round and the Mets got him 52nd overall because of some injury concerns. So we'll see how that goes for the Mets, but they, you know, got a potential fast rising college pitcher who's, who's got plus stuff in Tidwell. Um, they took three more pretty good college arms on day two, um, including Brandon Sprout from Florida, who is a pick that I like um, the other two, Tyler Stewart and Dylan uh, T break from Creighton who's a two-time Big East pitcher of the year. They're like, whatever. The deeper you get into the draft, they took a wild card too. They took a Canadian high schooler, uh, right-hander named Jonah Tong. So day two had some interesting picks. Day three is, you know, that's day three. That's a yeah. lot of, they took a bunch of college reliever type guys. I like that they did that. That was what I was going to say. I think that like, because we complained a lot at the beginning of this year about how like they simply didn't have that kind of depth in their system. Like they didn't have, you know, power arms they didn't have young starters relievers uh but particularly relief right because we were talking colin holderman and then like steven Nagosik, and then just like the you know maybe eric orsi and then you had like nothing and like i think that trying to stock up on potentially projectable arms is a step in the right direction that this team has needed to take for a while do I know if they have the resources to like get these guys to be good the way like the Dodgers and Rays can make their pitchers good or like the Giants can make theirs good? I don't know. I like that they're trying something. 
I they didn't take any of my guys. Yeah. Um, in terms of like players that were on my summer team on Cape Cod, mm-hmm. um, the they did pick one guy who I saw like last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. His name is Paul Gervais, mm-hmm. and he's an LSU righty who I saw pitch against my team, and he threw like three really good innings in relief to close out a game. Um, and he like was dirty. He's like six foot 10, like the fastballs mid to upper nineties with like a wipeout slider and the, like the, the whitey Red Sox just, you know, couldn't, could barely touch him. He looked great. Um, and that was with his college coach in attendance. Um, or maybe it was his, the new pitching coach. It was either Jay, Jay Jackson or Wes Johnson were, in attendance, one of the two LSU guys, either their head coach or their new pitching coach, the guy they hired away from the Twins, um, was there. So there was, um, I forget which team he was with. Um, hold on one second, I'm gonna find that. He was with Brewster. Okay, yeah, he was with Brewster, um, and Brewster started a different LSU guy in that game who went like six disgusting innings and then Gervais finished it off with three great innings of his own. So a lot of LSU in that game. And then I come to find out after the game, it's because an LSU coach was in attendance. But um, if the Mets wind up signing that guy, he was like their 12th round pick. I think that's a fun pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he's like six ten and he throws like 97. Um, yeah. So it could be interesting. Uh, shall we move on? I'm, I'm happy to. Yeah, we should Let's definitely get these, uh, get these awards, these first half awards. Uh, I would start by just hanging a banner right now for this team as a whole as like the best first half uh, from a Met team that I've seen in my life. That's that's the mm-hmm. note I'm starting on. Uh, it's not something we had planned, but I think that like it's just it's just that special, I think, like just what they've been doing, the way they win games. It's a miracle, not a miracle. It's a tragedy that they haven't actually gotten like a real winning streak cooking, especially because like but the Orioles are doing it. The Mariners are doing it. I think the Guardians had a streak at one point, like the Braves and Phillies had streaks at the same time. Like everyone gets on these things. And yet like the fourth best team in baseball has yet to do one. Uh, but I think that they can definitely do it. Um, and I've just had a lot of fun watching them. And like, I just wanted to give them that. I don't know if I'm if with you. Was, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Best first half that I've experienced, if not in my life as a Mets fan in a very long time. Yeah. Um, first superlative we got is best off season acquisition so far. And I think we both think it's Scherzer because he's yeah. been so good when he's been healthy. You could definitely make the argument that like Starling Marte all-star this year has been good. Eduardo Escobar's had his moments, but like, how can you say it's not Scherzer? You know, it's Scherzer. Yeah, it's Scherzer. I, I, there's not much time to exhaust on that one. Like his, his being there is so much more than him being on the mound and, and pitching every five days. Like, it's the experience knowing every waking day that he's on your team. Um, yeah, that's fun. Like that just, I think Max that Scherzer's on the Mets. 
he is a man. It's ridiculous to think. He, I mean, literally the fact that he got hurt and came back within the timeline that he was, you know, scheduled to come back. Like that's just so different from what I'm used to. Um, yeah. So best acquisition it's Scherzer. And I'd say like, I, I didn't do a, I didn't do one for like more, most like sorely missed uh, just because almost everyone that's left the Mets this year, except for Brandon Drury, has been pretty bad on their new teams. But, like, I guess Jacob deGrom would be the most sorely missed just because, like, he's not here. Um, and he had some, like, shoulder soreness uh, during, like, one of his – after one of his bullpens. So, like, they're moving his sim game back. Like, I'm a little bit worried about that, just speaking of, you know, injuries and timelines very briefly. But, like, yeah, that's another one we didn't really have. Um five best hitters but you got to rank the five best how do you rank them um i go alonzo nimmo lindor no lindor then nimmo lindor then nimmo okay marte mcneil All right that's well, I have the same five. Uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 there's just, I know that Alonzo's having his best season, but if you look at like Savant, you're not going to find anything like below average from Nimmo. Like he's just across the board, I think, done everything. And he's been healthy the whole year too. Um, the power is like, I mean, the power is, like, it comes and goes. Uh, like, I wish these things would be, like, a little bit. Like, I would love to see a 3-4-5 on the line instead of, like, a 277, a 357, and, like, a 437. But, like, I, th- I think I'm putting them a one just on the principle of, like, how I feel when he's coming up to hit. Like, he just simply, you know, unless his at-bat ends early, he pretty much never has bad at-bats. Um, I think that... He's the biggest threat to get on base at any time. He's the biggest threat to really like do anything. Uh, I'd say Nimmo one. I'd say Alonzo two, Lindor three. Um, I do McNeil four, Marte five, just because McNeil has been consistent across the whole year and Marte took a little while to get started. Um, But that's, that's my top five. I think that like, if I were to pick like a sixth person, it would maybe be Canna, but it's a pretty distant sixth. Canna's having like a weirdly like a weird year because he's yeah. having like his offensive value stats like his OPS plus and WRC plus and stuff like that rate him very well and he does get on base and he works a ton of deep counts but the power really hasn't been there it's been a lot of singles the occasional home run but like not a lot of them that kind of vibe so yeah I think Canna's probably my sixth guy again like this is a good offensive unit. It's not a great offensive unit. It would be a great offensive unit if you threw, I don't know, a Juan Soto right in the middle of it. Yeah, um, but I'm with you there. I think the biggest difference as to why I ranked um, Alonzo first is I like dingers. Yeah. Um, dingers make me happy. And Pete's my big goofy child who hits dingers. And then Lindor, I also I put him second upon thinking about it because – He's having it's just such a transcendent experience having him be a consistent run producer in this lineup. Um, it's just so fun, yeah. Watch him like yeah. have fun at a baseball field, it's so fun, and it's I'm a, really enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, 
it's a Scherzer thing too with him where it's like, damn, like we really, he's really on our team. We root for a team that has him. Like, it's great. It's, and it's very different from, you know, what we were used to for so long. So I definitely can dig it. Um, best bounce back. Um, uh, McNeil's my best bounce back hitter. Like it's yeah. gotta be right. Like it's he had McNeil. such such a bad year last year and he yeah, literally jumping jump ridiculous from bottom to top like he bottomed out last year he's hitting 300 again this year he's basically back uh he's my guy i like not much yeah. literally starting in the all-star game like it was and he's doing it like across modalities like they put him at second base he can hit you know they bat him eighth he can hit they bat him fifth he can do it they play him in left field he can do it like He's just been there like the whole time and he's, he's really, he really is back. It's he good can hit. Yeah, he can. At that rate, he can hit. Um, the second, that's number two. That's number two. We're trying to get to five. Um, five yeah, sure. five of the exact same, I think you should leave references in the same episode. Best uh, bounce back pitcher? Yeah. I, throwing it out there, because uh, they've done a little bit of overhaul with their pitching staff. So it's a little difficult to gauge this just because like Syndergaard isn't here, Stroman isn't here. Bassett's new, Karat, you know, uh, like Scherzer's new, also Scherzer bounced back. Those those don't really work together because he's never down. I'm going to just say David Peterson as my bounce back because um, I think it's a similar concept that you apply with McNeil to him where like last year uh, the, the bad and there was quite a bit of bad and it was unwatchable. Um, he really just like, he still has a little bit of an issue with control sometimes, Like the walks are still bad, but the slider, it has never looked better. Uh, he gets more swings and misses on that pitch at a higher rate on that pitch than like any left-handed starting pitcher does. Um, he's really, I think, cemented himself as someone who belongs on a major league roster at this point. Like if you have to option him when DeGrom gets back, sure. Like, fine, it makes sense. But, like, is he a triple-A pitcher anymore? No. No. He absolutely isn't. Uh, he's looked really good. That's my guy. I get you, and I like the pick. But I feel like Carlos Carrasco was so downright terrible when he came back last year. Yeah. And he's been – I know he's been a little hit or miss in the same kind of vein as Peterson's been. Yeah. But he's eaten innings, and every once in a while, every, like, third or fourth start he'll pop like six to seven shutout frames in the beginning of the year he was like he had a couple of eight inning outings like yeah like when cookie's on his game cookie is on his game still like he really flashes all-star cleveland carrasco uh more often than he ever did last season i know he was hurt for most of last season but he was really bad when he came back and i think once he started to shake that first inning bugaboo he showed us that he is still a quality veteran presence on the mound every fifth day um, and has been a pivotal player for this team because uh, for the most part, he's been healthy. And for the most part, he's been effective enough to keep teams in games and they've won a lot of his starts. Yeah. Which well, you can't are always you saying, quantify. Are you saying that wins matter? Is no, I'm you- I'm just saying they've had good luck in his starts. I don't know if he's getting matched up against other teams' worst pitchers and the teams are, you know, the Mets are having good offensive outings when he's on the mound, whatever. You can't really quantify that um, beyond, you know, frankly, wins and losses, which I don't like doing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pitching wins and losses, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they've had good success in his starts, which at the very least tells me that in the games that he's keeping them in games, those are games they're winning, um, which is, I think, important. Uh, biggest disappointment. I know mine. I'm going to let you do yours because I think we have the same, but I'm going to do the honorable mention here. Dominic Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Dom. It's Dom. It's, sorry. I'm sorry, Dom. It's, it's so, oh man, he had such a good spring and I was so ready. Like I'm sure I said on the podcast that this is the summer of Dom and that he's going to be back and that he's, you know, had a great spring and he's hitting lasers and he's hitting homers and just, he's been bad. Been so bad that he got sent to AAA. And if that doesn't tell you as much as you need to know about how bad this season has gone for Dom Smith after such a disappointing year last year, Dom Smith is the biggest disappointment on this 2022 Mets roster. And, you know, there's been a couple like JD Davis has also been pretty bad this year. Like, yeah, there's some black holes on this roster. Right. Uh, Seth Lugo, huge disappointment, but I was so looking forward to like a Dom resurgence and I just feel like we're nearing the end of his Mets tenure and that he's going to get shipped off for some optionable 40 man reliever um, in like a week and a half. And it's going to feel like the, it's going to feel like, you know, the end of this weird arrow, this weird career as a Met that never really went anywhere. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it is basically, I experience the most pain uh, when I watch him do badly. Uh, I think that really characterizes the disappointment aspect of it. Like, it really is just like, come on, do something. And then he strikes out and it's just like, you know, come on, like, why can't you, you know, you did this in the spring, you did this in 2020, you did this in 2019, like, and you're a good guy. Like, I just want you to do well. And, you know, my honorable mention was going to be JD Davis. Um, I think Seth Lugo is a good call, but I don't know if disappointment is really the word with him because like, I think it's a little bit of just a given with all the mileage that his arm has taken on that like, this is just what happens to him. And it hasn't been disappointing either. It's just been like maddening, like watching him pitch. It's really hard to do. Um, Good news for those. Everyone will forget, I promise. Um, So there is still time. Biggest all-star game snub. Taiwan, I think like Taiwan's like top, top 10 in the National League and earned run average. I feel like, especially because he finished the first half so strong with his last half dozen starts or so. Um, yeah, I, I'll keep it simple. Taiwan, I feel like, but it's the same as last year, whereas like he was putting up zeros. He wasn't really flashy. He wasn't striking a ton of guys out. Um, and he made the all-star team and then was a, you know, much worse pitcher in the second half. Could right. happen again this uh, this this uh, this second half, but um, he had like the same kind of first half, and he was an all star last year, but not this year. You know that that's the vibe that I'm going with. Yeah, I think that's I I definitely am on that track with with the all star game snub, and it's honestly part of why I didn't rank him as the best bounce back pitcher because the bounce back for me at least like I can't really tell you he's better until I've seen what happens in the second half. Cause he was just like this in the first half. He deserved the all-star game nomination though. 
Um, I think Brandon Nimmo also probably deserved at least to be a reserve on the roster. He leads this team in, in war. Um, and I think that it's a shame that like that doesn't really get recognized. I understand that like a lot of these metrics skew weirdly because of defense, but like, I don't know. I think that Nimmo also deserves because he he's never made an all-star game, Brandon Nimmo. And I think that's like ridiculous, really. Yeah, that's um, wild. Next man up award. Hmm. Who do you got for this one? I feel like it's gotta be Luis Guillorme. Yeah. I feel like it's you take the player that has plugged into the lineup or plugged into an everyday kind of role the best, and it's easily Guillorme. Like a lot of this bench is brutal. Like catcher position, you'll never get hits from them. Uh, Travis Jankowski, you will never get hits from him, although I give him a pass because, like, I like him and Shakira likes him. Um, JD and Dom, we just went over it. Like, they're just – they're supposed to be hitting and they're not. It's kind of a process of elimination thing for me, but, like, Giorme has also, like, batted 300 and his defense has been impeccable. Like, you put him in the lineup and you have the same chance of winning that you would have with, like, a starter in there. Like, he's been really he's, – he's fit the bill really well. Yeah, he's – I like him. I like Luis. I think he's the pretty obvious pick for next man up award. Um, I think potentially like someone like Colin Holderman, who was not really expected to have a big role in this bullpen coming out of spring training, but has acquitted himself very well in his yeah. outings, could also be a guy that fits into this. David Peterson as well yeah. um, fits into this, I think, too, because – did not have a, a secured starting rotation spot until DeGrom went down. Yeah. Solidified when Scherzer went down. Um, another guy who's acquitted himself well because of opportunities that arose when other players got hurt. So um, I'm with you on Guillaume, but there's a couple other options here. Uh, Buck Showalter grade. Uh, I think I have some issues with buck that i've talked about on the podcast before that i think are warranted their managerial decision making sometimes lineup construction sometimes bullpen stuff uh however results speak for themselves and i can't allow myself to give him anything lower than an a minus because of the position the team is in right now yeah i think that's fair. I think it's difficult to really assess like a manager's impact on the team because you don't really see it. I think a big part of the decision to hire Buck in the first place and not like, I mean, I'm trying to remember who the other candidates were at this point. Uh, it's totally slipping my mind. But There's like, the raise guy with the right. Cotraro, Cotraro, right. Yeah. I think that's the perfect comp between him and Cotraro. The reason they went with Buck was because they wanted somebody who knew how to manage a clubhouse in like the traditional terms of it. Like, like he knew how to talk to a player who was struggling. He knew how to rest players potentially. I think that's still an issue. He has a big problem with the bullpen. I mentioned it like every week. Huge. I'm it's giving bad. him a B. I'm giving him a B plus. I can't in good faith give him higher than a B plus because I'm still so scared of like what's going to happen 
when Joely Rodriguez comes out for another inning after finishing the last one, or when Seth Lugo's working a back-to-back day, like that is still a very big problem. However, the job that he was brought here to do as like a calming presence that other players could really look up to and, and thrive off of on an energy level, even like I got to give Buck credit for that. So it's definitely a favorable grade. I can't give him an A or an A minus, but I, I'm buck pilled. Like I like the guy uh, and I think the players like him a lot. And uh, he's definitely not the guy that I was super adamantly against when they first hired him. I, I, I think it, I think it's been a good decision and it's been a good marriage. Yeah, it really has. All right. Last one before we quickly remember some guys team MVP. I'll let you go first. My team MVP is Edwin Diaz. It's mine too. That is also my MVP. Let's go kid because, oh man. All right. So we won't have to, you know, go too deep into this because we are the same yeah. guy. I'll just quickly. He's been so good. He's been so lights out. He's been automatic in save situations. He's struck out half the batters he's faced. Yeah. He's been so fun to watch. This is the Edwin Diaz that was advertised from his time in Seattle. This is the Edwin Diaz that has shaken the narrative of the Robinson Cano trade and the Jared Kelnick trade and has made it once again the way it should have been in the first place the Edwin Diaz trade, because he is an elite closer in the National League. He is the best damn relief pitcher in the National League this season. He deserves that credit. He's been outstanding. The Mets are not in the same position if he is not closing games, if he is not providing some semblance of stability in what has otherwise been a very shaky bullpen this year. Yeah, Yeah. He deserves all the credit in the world for being that automatic lockdown closer that I feel like every good team that makes deep runs into the playoffs has an Edwin Diaz. Brody Van Wagenen orchestrating the Anthony Swarzak, Jay Bruce trade, huge W, huge W. (laughs) It's the Edwin Diaz trade. Um, You took most of the words out of my mouth on this one. It's been a lot of fun just watching this guy blossom and bloom after the way 2019 went, because that was very hard to watch just on a personal level too. I think my reasoning with MVP for Diaz and not say Nimmo or Alon or Scherzer is that if you took Scherzer out of the rotation and you did this when he got hurt, the rotation could still stay afloat. If you took any of those hitters out of the lineup, you know, Canna becoming your fifth best hitter kind of sucks, but like if, you know, the second best becomes your best in that case, it's fine. If you take Edwin Diaz out of your bullpen and he's not closing games anymore, the dam completely breaks. That team loses like a third of the close games that it has otherwise won. Uh, It would be a, we would be in second place without a doubt. Edwin Diaz is the reason this team is in first place. I think last week, you asked me if I thought he was the best reliever right now. And I said, Josh Hader. Um, it's kind of funny to think that Hader has completely, he completely melted down the week after, like I made that statement. Um, it's Edwin Diaz. It, it really is. I've seen the light. It is Edwin Diaz. He's the best reliever in the national league. Um, he's the best reliever in baseball right now. He's the best closer he's shut down. I, I, he's the most valuable player to this team in the first half. It's, 
and it's been the most energizing experience watching him pitch because it's just night after appearance after appearance. It's so badass. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Remember, guys, quickly, we only have about three and a half minutes. We've burned through another 40 minute Zoom session. Um, am I allowed to remember Jared Kelnick? It feels right in this you episode. Can, you can listen, you can remember like Garth Brooks if you want. You know, like I don't know if I could. Uh, let's remember Jared Kelnick. It feels right. We're talking about Edwin Diaz being so good this year. We've talked about a Mariners outfield prospect blossoming on the national stage in both the home run derby and all star game for a very good Mar- for a suddenly very good Mariners team. And Julio Rodriguez, not Jared Kelnick, not the prince who was promised, the other star outfield prospect. This one um, figured out how to hit at the major league level after his first hundred plate appearances or so. And we're talking about the draft and I'm thinking about former first round draft picks by the New York Mets. And I'm thinking about ones who didn't pan out in the way that we hoped like Dom Smith or thinking about ones that could lead to trades. I don't think the Mets obviously are not going to trade Kevin Parada for Juan Soto, but his Drafting could make it a little more comfortable for the Mets to trade a different prospect, namely Francisco Alvarez. So we're remembering Jared Kelnick, who was never a Met at the major league level, but his footprints are all over um, current Mets history. Damn, that was a good little, that was a good monologue there. I like that. I think we should normalize remembering guys who didn't play in the majors for the Mets, but otherwise wore a Met uniform at some point or another in some dim fashion. Um I'm going to stick to the draft thing too, but I'm remembering a guy who represented the Mets at the draft. Nice. He, Rajay Davis. Yes. Kind of, rep- I like that a lot. I like that he gets he, to do that. I he think did a that couple it, different opens teams. The door, it opens the door for so many different possibilities. Like next year, it could be Jankowski who's representing <laughs> them. Like you just get every, where's Jake Marisnik? You know what I mean? Get JJ, all puts, get all the JJ puts did the Diamondbacks. Why couldn't he do the Mets too? Uh, I think it might be on account of the fact that they screwed up his medicals really, really badly and almost ruined his career. But uh, that's just me showing off my knowledge about J.J. Putz in that trade. A terrible trade. Not a good Mariners trade. That's the Mariners closer trade. That's the real enemy. People talk about that in the DS thing. But um, yeah, Rajay Davis, he took an Uber to a game after he got called up from Syracuse. Um, it was it was it was honestly kind of crazy that he even showed up in Met colors but he took Sean Doolittle deep uh just in the you know in a pretty meaningless Nationals Mets game in like May I think and then they DFA'd him but taking the Uber into City Field and homering the same night pretty cool stuff so Roger Davis nice like that that was a fun series that was also the Carlos Gomez series okay that does it episode 88 in the books here on the Pleasant Good Evening podcast I've been Sam Lebowitz He's been Jack Hendon. Second half kicks off this week. Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening.